0: Hi friends, welcome to the Artists' Blend. Today we're talking about costuming in the film industry. So grab your mug and let's get talking.
1: Okay, today's coffee is real interesting. It is. I have you taken a sip yet? I have.
0: I have some. I have some words at the end.
1: Yes, I. There's background to it. Okay. Uh, I will talk. There is background, historical and otherwise. Okay, great. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, <laughs> so hang on. <laughs> we'll get there at the end of the episode. Um, but for now, we'll just tell you that it's blackjack mm-hmm. from Carver Trading Company. Mm-hmm. Um. As always, if you want a discount on Carver, 10% off, you can go to the link in uh, the show description or the link in our bio on social medias, um, and you can get 10% off, and a portion of that 10% off also helps the show. But anyway, let's talk about costuming. costuming. Um, As you probably know from the title of this episode, Mm -hmm. we're talking about costuming today. Mm -hmm. Um, To kick us off, there are two articles that I just wanted to quote uh, little things from, sections. This first one is sort of encompassing what we're talking about, why we're talking about it, um, why costume matters, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, we know it's important, but let, like, why? why the article? Let's, yeah. So um, <laughs> this is an article by Ashida uh, from IIAD.edu, which is the Indian Institute of Art and Design. Mm-hmm. Um, the article is called Evolution of Costume Designing in Movies and Films. So this is the, the excerpt. Costumes of the cast form an integral part of the film. It is among the vital tools that the director uses to narrate the story. Costumes help portray the film's character's personality to the audience and transform actors into credible people on the screen. Costumes depict three Ps, people, place, and period. Mm. When used in prudent combination with other elements, costumes help throw light on the demography and social class of the character and also convey information about the era in which the film is set, geographic location, time, season, and weather in which the scene was shot. A costume designer must know all the characters of the film and their contribution to the plot before curating wardrobe and accessories for them. Generally, one costume is worn by one actor in his role, portraying a specific character in a particular scene or sequence in the story. It is the responsibility of the costume designer to ensure that their creations weave seamlessly into the story to foster engagement with the audience. Inappropriate costumes for a particular character or specific sequence exorbitantly priced costumes or even a bad finish affect the portrayal of the character in a story. Okay. So that's that uh, little section of the article by Ashida in the in Indian Institute of Art and Design. Yeah. And I felt like that was a nice little, okay, yeah. here's what we're here's talking what, about. Yeah. Here's why it like These are all like basic things mm-hmm. that we all know, mm-hmm. but just as a precursor to why it's important that we're talking about exactly. it. Um, And then the other little thing I have before tossing it off to you, this is an article on medium.com by Devaraj S., Uh, and it's called The Role of Costume Design in Film and I really liked how um, Devarage divided up the importances Mm. of costume design and like the the pillars of why they matter and how they matter Mm -hmm. Um, like the previous article depict the three P's Mm. the people Mm. place and period and this one kind of goes a little bit further into that Uh, dividing into three sections the first one being character development and expression and the second one is visual storytelling and narrative enhancement Mm. And then the third being symbolism and subtext. Yep. And I really like looking at it that way too. The more practical being people, place, and period. Indy. But artistically, you're looking at character development and expression, visual storytelling and narrative enhancement, uh-huh. and symbolism and subtext. Uh-huh. And
0: I love that uh, angle of looking at costume design too. Oh, very much. Very much. Um, so with what I have found is talking about uh, historically accurate costume in period pieces. Okay. Most people will uh, know what you mean by period piece. However, if you don't, typically it is a movie or TV series that is depicting a certain time period. Um, For example, off the top of my head, you can think of Pride and Prejudice. You can think of Little Women. You can think of Downton Abbey. You can think of which is both a movie and TV series. But as far as this article, which is from ScreenRant.com, the most historically accurate costumes in period pieces are these following movies. Les Miserables, which the musical version, not any straight version, which I found interesting because a lot of people will look at that movie and say, oh, it's just the the musical on screen. Well, it is, but apparently they went into very, very in-depth costuming with that, which makes perfect sense. Mm. A movie called Dunkirk, which I believe is a war film, but I'm not familiar with it entirely. Um, Downton Abbey, as I mentioned. Uh, Emma, which is another period piece that I haven't seen. But it is a mm-hmm. Jane Austen story, or a novel, excuse me. You have The Great Gatsby, which surprised me, but thinking it through, I was like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense for the adaptation. Yeah. Uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, and Macbeth, but specifically the 2015 version of the film. Um, okay. And then Memoirs of a Geisha, and a movie called Belle, Little Women, and that's the end of this article's listing of them. Uh, Uh I'll have this in the show notes because it does a small, like, two, three-sentence excerpt of each film and why it uh, was either acclaimed or why it's so accurate. I think it's interesting that period pieces can be very different. Obviously, you have Les Miserables, you have Downton Abbey, and you have Great Gatsby, (laughs) three very different eras, even countries or anything like that. But we associate them with the costumes or we associate him with the films necessarily, but as you were explaining with your little excerpt, that the costumes are just as an important, vital piece um, yeah. to to tell the story. And that translates on stage as well, uh, as you and I both can attain through musical theater, if you don't have great costumes or if you have a different interpretation of a show. For example, a lot of Shakespeare is done in different time periods or different settings, but it still works. <laughs> only because of the set and the costumes. Like, the story is the story, and they, they may adapt a few names or places here and there, but the costumes are yeah. what sell, oh, we're in World War II or whatever. Um, so I, yeah. I think that's fascinating, but I'll pass off the torch to you to talk about our specific movies that we like.
1: Yeah. So the, the first one that I have, mm-hmm. um, just to give a little preview, so I've got one for Star Wars. Okay. I've got one for Eight and a Half. Mm. And for Black Panther. Nice. Um, so that's what's to come. Mm. But I'll start off with Star Wars. Um, so, John Malo's costumes for Star Wars, yes. the original film, um, won the uh, Oscar for costume design in 1978. Um, the interesting thing to me, the first thing is that Malo had no experience working in sci fi. Oh, really? He. Had, however, done a lot of work in historical military costuming. Hey. That's what his expertise was in. At least, like the 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 some of the biggest projects that he'd done. Yeah. That's what the his focus was. Interesting. Um, which helped quite a lot yeah. in a few different instances. So, um, obviously this is a George Lucas baby film, and it's very much George's baby. Yep. But, <laughs> um and there was also of course collaboration between George and John Mallo the costume designer mm. but another huge influence was Ralph McQuarrie's concept art yeah. and George Lucas and Ralph McQuarrie would have these conversations and Ralph would sort of try to conceptualize he he I looked up his him and his career and like the main thing he does is concept art mm. and illustration okay. um so his his big impact on the industry yeah. is conceptualizing things so I'm he was incredibly helpful and I mean, not just helpful. He was, um, he was instrumental okay. in visualizing George's ideas yeah. and developing them further. Um, and so, it was really Ralph, George, and John that so the three together mm. created the the visual world of the costumes that we associate. Yeah. But of course, it was John's final say, or not final say, but John's um, John's job was the execution. Okay. So I don't want to credit John with the entire costuming yeah, world. No. Um, it was very much a collaborative effort. But um, George Lucas, at the beginning, he said he, he didn't want super spacey or super clean, mm-hmm. futuristic uh, look. That makes sense. Like a lot of other sci-fi movies yeah. at the time. Like, you think like, the the polished chrome and mm-hmm. everything? Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want that. I don't <laughs> want that normal space thing. No. Lucas told John Malo he said, I don't want the audience to notice any of the costumes. Mm. I just want to see light versus dark. Yep. Um, and so they, they kind of ran with that and a lot of the costumes, um, the concepts came from, they they pulled a lot from Japanese samurai culture, um, also from, uh, Nazi uniforms (laughs) and also from the wild west. Wow. So there were a a lot of really interesting, um, cultural (laughs) tie-ins and inspirations for these things. Um, there's a Darth Vader, Darth Vader's helmet was actually pretty directly inspired by a specific, um, Japanese military helmet. Mm-hmm. It looks, you can definitely see the similarities between the two. Fascinating. And these, the, they're, they even quote, quote that as a source. Yep. Um, and then in, in thinking about Han Solo, they talked about, they wanted Han, he's supposed to be a space cowboy. Yep. That's his whole thing. Yep. He's the Wild West cowboy in space. And so... They made him look like a cowboy. Like obviously, he's he doesn't have the the cowboy boots mm. and the exact hat. Yeah. But the the feeling that you get when you look at Han Solo, mm-hmm. the, the types of things, the types of silhouettes that he has, mm-hmm. it all lends itself
0: to that space cowboy idea. I mean, I, I see it. Yeah, like in in yeah. my mind's picture of of the movie, it's it's wow, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, knowing he's all these, space yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. And so the teamwork of the concepts by mm-hmm. uh George Lucas's guidance and direction and Mallow's leadership and the costuming department's execution came together beautifully to create the world of of Star Wars uh, as far as costume mm-hmm. goes. Um, and to wrap up Star Wars thing, uh, John Mallo's acceptance speech in 1978, um, he, he talked to, talking about creating the world. He said, it's really not so much costumes as a bit of plumbing and general automobile engineering.
0: <laughs> That's so true. So he talks about it less of
1: like the artistic side of like, oh well, you know, what I'm talking about the. Yeah, it's not as um as normal of a process. He was like, no, it's really just like plumbing and engineering. <laughs> That's so Which true. Which I thought was
0: really fun. That makes me think of um, when I was really young, seeing like behind the scenes footage of Star Trek and how they made some uh, of the special effects of the time, like. Um, the transport beam was literally glitter in water that they stirred and then just edited the glass out so that makes it makes perfect sense when he's like no it's just it's just (laughs) this um that's really really Uh, cool so my first one that i want to talk about is actually a more recent um it's is okay so it's on netflix i would say it's a movie series i really don't know how to depict them if it's if it's a it's not a straight movie so it's the queen. Is it like an anthology series? I think so. It's the Queen's Gambit, which if you if you're listening okay. and haven't seen, go watch it. It's it's really really good. But the costuming is something that stood out to me, and um, the reason that it did is because I began to notice that. Uh, have you seen it at all, Easton? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Queen's Gambit is about a young woman um, learning the art of chess and becoming this massive force in the sense of uh, competing in chess tournaments during a time where women were not allowed to be in uh, chess tournaments and it's uh, Mm -hmm. it's based off a 1983 novel of the same name by Walter Heffies I believe is how you said it Um, Mm -hmm. but it's set during the 60s of countercultural revolution where uh, a woman named Beth Harmon uh, tried to change the world as a 24 year old uh, chess prodigy and uh-huh. during during all the episodes you it's a lot of flashback and flash forward um to what's currently happening but anyways what i love about the costuming is it's so accurate within the time period but not only is it accurate it changes with her uh growth and or her feelings and really one of the articles that i was reading about was oh, it was from the, the costume designer her, uh, uh, gabrielle binder and she was saying mm-hmm. that her role was always to connect back to the story through the clothes. And the initial brief is, of course, the script, end quote. Yeah. Um, but it, when I read this article about it, thinking I, I, I loved it in initial viewing, but we really see Beth Harmon's transition from young woman or uh, from girl to young woman, but based off of the costume change. And we see this uh-huh. com- this sort of confidence that she's trying to a face on and grow up really quickly necessarily we see it in the costumes later on when she goes through some life troubles as well as being successful we see a costume shift and huh. something like that really sticks out to me more so than um uh, like i can watch a period piece and really love the costuming for its accuracy but when it integr intertwines with the character themselves And sort of, as you were saying, um, it can distinct uh, class as well uh, because with uh, the color purple, not not to show the color purple, but just the color purple itself is often associated with royalty, for example, um, because it it was an expensive uh, dye color to get at the time. So when it intergrains within the character, I really enjoy it, and it's just like it puts the cherry on top of the pie for me. But... um, for me, I really enjoy the significance of um, the muses of the era that she talks about um, because it was referencing a lot of 50s looks and then bringing them into the 60s countercultural influence. And it, it's it's really fascinating and hard to talk about, but when you watch the series, um, it's it's fascinating to know that it's showing her growth and the power that she takes on and it reminds me a lot of um, the newest adaptation of Cruella with Emma Stone. Uh-huh. And the, the importance that fashion takes within the story and the, the revolt that she has too. So I don't know. It just plays, yeah. it plays heavily into my enjoyment of its involvement in the story more so than just plot who this is. There you go. So yeah. yeah. Who, who do you have next?
1: Okay. So my hey. second one is um from eight and a half yep. like i said earlier the uh, costumes were designed by piero mm. girardi uh in 1963 it was when the movie yep. was released um and it was actually the basis for the musical mm. nine which won best musical in 1982 wow. um yeah i knew that nine was was inspired by a film i, didn't I just know didn't realize <laughs> that i was looking i was like looking into this film i was like oh yeah. wait yeah, yeah this is the one It's eight and a half, into awesome. nine. Um, If you are unfamiliar with this, which I was, the only reason I knew about it was because of Nine, Mm. the musical. Um, So it centers around a film director named Guido, um, and he's working on this new sci-fi film, but he's really Mm. struggling and and having some issues um, creatively. Director's Mm. block uh, is what Mm. they kind of call it. Um, And he's trying to get this movie off the ground. And he is just, like, overwhelmed from all sides and so he is just kind of like not um devolving but he kind of just like stops everything yeah. for a little bit and he's going he kind of uh goes into his head and just kind of like relives a lot hey. of memories of the different mm-hmm. women yeah. in his life um past and present and so it's 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 like metafictional hey. it's very interesting it's <laughs> it has some really cool abstract moments um It's not very literal um, the whole time. But anyway, he is just sort of processing all of this. And the more he does, the more he realizes that the movie is becoming more about him and more about his life um, than he may have (laughs) thought before. So that's a very quick kind of idea of the film. Um, The costumes for this are really Hmm. fun. They're they're very sleek. I almost use the word elegant, but they're too grounded to be elegant it's um it's suave it's luxurious and everything in the film looks yep. suave and luxurious not elegant uh it's a little not dirty but it's it's not quite clean yep. enough um or not quite um royal okay. enough to yeah, be elegant but everything is sleek it looks really clean um again yep, not but. too clean <laughs> anyway um but uh yeah okay. so that and then on top of that, there's the the film is set in the world of the film industry. So you have these classic looks of like the directors with the mm-hmm. scarves and and the the girls with all the fur and the you know the, the yes. boa thing and all, all of those kind of tropes which came from mm-hmm. it this time. Um, and a really cool thing was that um, Piero Girardi was actually studying architecture hey. before he wow. got into film. Um, so he's always been uh, an artistically but also mechanically minded person. <laughs> Um, he was studying architecture, architecture. Yeah. and then got <laughs> into film yeah and uh, he um, somebody was like hey you seem to be good at scouting locations do you want to come do this Great. for this movie and he's like yeah sure so he was a location scout um, he was uh, over the course of his career he was also a set designer he was a set decorator he was an art director he was a um what was the other one I think pro- maybe production manager production director He he's done so many different Great. things um and he won the 1963 uh, Academy Award for Best Costume Design. Um, and <laughs> I, I watched his acceptance yeah. speech because it happened to be on YouTube. Um, back then, the speeches were a lot shorter than mm-hmm. they are now. Like, now you gotta thank everyone you've ever known. Um, and, you know, they start playing the music and tell you to get off the stage. Back then, like, most of the acceptance speeches were, like, 10 yeah, seconds so. or less. And so they were all very short. But his I found to be extra hilarious oh, Okay, he walked up he grabbed the award and said in a really thick Italian accent he said thank you America and then <laughs> left <laughs> that was it <laughs> like other people's were like thank you so much to my mother who's yeah, yeah. inspired me I appreciate you all have a great night hysteric. They leave. but his was thank you America <laughs> done so funny so funny. And the girl who was presenting the word was kind of like yeah, smiling, like, like okay, not, okay that was it. Yeah, I guess we're on to the next thing. All right, bye.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But that is uh wow. eight and a half costs. That's crazy. Eight and a half. Um
0: I love the architectural influence and the funny story, Take You America. Good grief.
1: Vocal health is incredibly important. Sometimes you get tired, you get allergies, you get overworked, and your voice suffers, which can really put a damper on your work as a singer, actor, or even public speaker. Vocal Mist can help with that. It's a portable nebulizer that uses an isotonic saline to make a cool mist that you inhale, It's been research proven to help the voice stay hydrated and working well. The Vocal Mist Portable Nebulizer is a fast and easy way to keep your vocal cords healthy, give you better vocal stamina, and can mitigate damage from overuse. I have one of my own that I absolutely love, and if you use your voice in your artistic endeavors, I can't recommend this enough. Use the affiliate link in the show notes and get your Vocal
0: Mist Portable Nebulizer today. So my next piece is specifically the 1994 um, Little Women rendition. And yeah. to me, that one uh, stands out even compared to the new one. I love the new adaptation. Um, but I was reading an article about that um, earlier that was saying they took some liberties with the fashion because they wanted to to push, push some details. However, in the 1994 yeah. one, um, it's more about little details that they added that help elevate the story. Again, I think I think for me, costuming helps elevate the, the story and, or the character themselves. I don't know why, but that seems to be, Uh that seems to be my trip. But, um, in the 1994, they went so far as to, um, I can't find who the designer was. So I may find that in a minute. Oh, excuse me. It was, uh, Colleen Atwood was the costume, the impeccable costume created by, um, and for instance, uh, Joe Marsh has a gray dress that she wears a lot of the time, um, just being the plain, um, not wanting to stand out or anything like that. But within the details of this plain dress, if you will, has interesting sleeve, uh, angles and, um, for lack of, for lack of better term, like little flaps that were added. And then white trim details. Uh. So it makes the dress interesting to the eye, but also not enough to be like, oh, I need to pay attention to this person. So it helps elevate Joe as important, but also not um not help not taking away from her um being against the traditional what a woman should be of that time. Um and then it goes yeah. into this article goes into um beth march and how her costumes never let her look older because she only she never got to experience adulthood spoilers if you don't know the story yeah um but (laughs) it goes they went so far within that costuming that they're in um one of the very last scenes when she's being visited um she's wearing a plaid cape with a wine colored trim over a simple dress And the wine coloring on this drape is to represent the scarlet fever that that could have um, been the downfall of her death. Or is, is, I don't remember exactly. But it, uh, and then to show her youth, to keep her girl's young age, compassionate girl's young age look, they put her hair in pigtails, but still had this like drape of impending death within the costume and sort of foreshadowing what's coming. Um, And then they went even further within accuracy of the time period and um, you were mentioning that uh, costumes for individual characters, like that is what they wear. So this is is all. The girls and sisters would actually change dresses throughout the movie because of the time they would just either hand down dresses to to wear um, the next youngest could wear that one to the next ball or they would be oh we have another one huh. to go to you wear this one I'll wear that one it, it's something closer to what the actual time period would have been so I thought that was fascinating yeah. instead of giving them each individual looks every single time it's like oh wait I've seen that dress D- didn't didn't somebody else wear that? Huh. Um, so that's, that's the interesting thing for me I mean Little Women is just a, a beautiful story anyways um but yeah. specifically, the 1994 one stuck out to me because I watched it when I was so young with my mom, and um, even going so far with Laurie's character, who, if you haven't seen the movie, it's played by Christian Bale, it, not who I would have expected. not who okay. I would expect. I haven't seen yeah. that movie, so, um, <laughs> but uh, he he did really well with the role, um, but uh, they left him wearing puffy sleeves, but also a floral vest to, to show not only his gentleman like nature, but his kind heart. And it was specifically worn during his proposal to Joe and trying to show like he was affectionate but also trying to be a, a gentleman and it just didn't go well if you know the story. But um <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's my that's my brief very, very brief um costuming within nineteen ninety four little women. I really enjoy that one. So
1: cool. That's awesome. Okay, my Ugh. final one, like I said earlier, is Black yes. Panther. I'm so yes, excited. Yes, please. To talk I'm about excited to hear about it. So, <laughs> costumes for this movie were done by Ruth Ugh. E. Carter. She was the first Black woman to win the Oscar for Best Ugh. Costume Design, and rightfully so. Uh, this work is incredible. So, I mean, thinking of Black Panther, you got the Black Panther yes. suit, you have the Dora's armor, you have all of, not to mention all like the regular yep. day wear that normal people have, but like, they, they had to create this brand new futuristic uh-huh. world of Wakanda. So the task mm-hmm. here is to create a fictional futuristic mm-hmm. world that was based on African nations, okay. but they wanted it to exist, th- this world that they were creating, they wanted it to be completely independent mm-hmm. of any influence from colonizers like the Dutch okay. and the British. And so they spent six months on pre-production where she had shoppers searching all over the world for authentic African designs and textiles to use in the film. And she she talks a lot about in some interviews about how she was inspired by the original comics and loved reading the comics. And so you have this comic world and now she's charged with bringing not only that to life, but also in a way that is what they want is to be truthful and grounded to real African cultures. Um, And... So there was actually one time where they, they found these awesome fabrics, that, with African fabrics that were hey. printed in hey. Holland, but Ruth didn't want those. She said no, because she was like, I, I want them to be purely African. I want to them to be made. I don't yeah. want them to be. I don't, if they're from Holland, yeah. I don't want them. is essentially what she was saying. And so they created yeah. their own. So like no expense was spared. was Spared. Is, yeah, is so it's the, been... no expense was spared. Spare? No expenses. The, okay, the saying from um, Jurassic Park, yes, but even yes, self- yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, they spare spared no, no expense. expense. Um uh <laughs> that's <laughs> what it is. It's backwards. Um but anyway, yes. And so they went through so much just like elbow okay. grease to make this as authentic as uh-huh. possible while also they they had the, the freedom to imagine and create, okay, what would this look like if it was
0: mm. in the
1: future with all you know yeah. vibranium. Um another really interesting thing was that uh the some of her choices for colors. So T'Challa um was in black obviously uh for most of the film. Okoye okay. was in red and Nakia was in green. And black, red and green are the colors of the Pan-African wow. flag. And I love yeah. that little nod that they that they did with these okay. three characters. Ruth was um when she she was doing her mm-hmm. acceptance speech um I didn't realize I had collected little That's quotes okay. from each person's <laughs> speech. Um, but hers, this is just a beautiful way to end this. It, I huff, I got I That's went okay. down a rabbit hole. Yes. I love Marvel. I don't know about you guys, um, we but both do. Uh, I yes. know you in particular. <laughs> but listeners, I don't know about you, but I love me some Marvel, so I kinda went down a deep rabbit hole, but I won't bore y'all with That's all the different stuff. Episode. But Never if you mind. are into this, like go look it up because there's some phenomenal stuff that they yep. did for this film. Um but to wrap this up. Ruth, uh, when, she, when she got her acceptance speech going, um, when she got her speech, anyway, when she won her Oscar and was uh, was giving her speech, she said, Marvel may have created the first black superhero, but through costume design, we turned him into an African king. It's been my life's honor to create costumes. Thank you to the Academy, and thank you for honoring African royalty and the empowered way women can look and lead on screen. And I love that. I think That's that is so it's powerful, so graceful, I know. and and pow- yeah, It's powerful. It's just, ugh. I'm so glad that she was involved in that project.
0: And and that uh, have you seen? Yeah, I, I'm not even gonna ask that. I was gonna say, have you seen the second Black Panther? Of course you have. Um, yes, that, <laughs> I feel like that translates into that film as well. I, I
1: think I've seen everything up to now except Eternals. I haven't seen Eternals either, but yeah, who cares I know about Eternals.
0: <laughs> um, That's that, literally another episode we'll do just Marvel. Anyways, yeah. Um, Wow, that's fascinating. Um, so, uh, yeah, my last film is actually Harriet. And I was okay. blown away by uh, learning more about it. I, I, I've seen clips. I unfortunately haven't seen the entire movie. However, um, I am now going to be fascinated to see it and probably will put it on as soon as this episode is over. But um, what yeah. I love about the costuming is what grabbed me first because... Um, it just she is portrayed Harriet Tubman in this movie is portrayed as such a powerful force as she was but when I was reading this article the costume designer was Paul Tazewell or I believe is how you say it he is the brilliant mind behind the acclaimed musical Hamilton's costumes as well Um, and he was brought on to the project because of his uh, acclaimed uh, fame with Hamilton however he uh-huh. went through a difficult process of creating the accuracy of the periods because uh, this is a quote from British Vogue, and it says, uh, from Paul, it says, I came across so many portraits of African Americans in the period, all dressed beautifully of many economic levels, that many who are dressed as elegantly sure. as their Caucasian counterparts. And I found that fascinating because sure. we, I think... We've mentioned this a couple in a couple of episodes. We have this European, European esque vision of some things, or maybe our education comes mm. across that way, and that's not that's not yes, American correct. education. That's not yeah. right, and it it shouldn't. There's a cool whole other world yeah. out there. <laughs> so, and that's a lot of what we stand for with this podcast is to open those doors into looking at the world in completely different lenses. But, anyways, uh. um. He, he apparently had never seen that before, which is why he thought there's an assumption about who Harriet was. But he says, quote, uh-huh. through costume, I wanted to make her more rich and show a depth of character and humanity, too. And uh, this will be in the show uh-huh. notes. But some of the costumes from the movie, again, I really want to see it, uh, just have this power within the colors they used, the patterns. And they're subtle, but it's just so poignantly put that on screen, it's like, oh, yeah. this is more of a force than the person. But I, I love the uh, the change in her outfits is, and that's uh, something Tubman pushed for. But um, what mm-hmm. was fascinating too uh, was Paul taswell went on to say that at one point, there's a function to the style of a, a certain dress so that she is believable, not as a slave, but indeed a free woman from Philadelphia who is just traveling. And Hmm. that has power within it because, again, from this one viewpoint, that's not what we associate, and that's wrong in so many levels. But uh, the final thing that was fascinating in this article is they sort of had to create, based off of images from the time period, because there wasn't a lot of young photos of Harriet Tubman available through, mm. through history or just in general. But um, they actually found one right before filming began of her at a younger age. And Taswell uh, went on to say what was challenging was that most of the images of Harriet that exist are her at an older age, older than when we actually see her in the film. Yeah. Except for this one photograph that was literally found right before we started. It was a portrait taken of her when she was a much younger, and that really did inspire how I saw who she might have been. It just added more depth and richness to our assumption of what her life was and who she was. It's a beautiful photograph of her, is is how he ended the quote. But one thing's for sure, for yeah. sure is all the assumptions are swept aside in this story of a woman who, against the odds, changed history for the better. But it's just yeah. fascinating to see the shift of... Like, even with um, Bridgerton's success, if you will. Now, mind you, if you're listening, there's many articles that go into saying Bridgerton is not accurate with their costumes because yeah. they took some liberties. Fine, great, whatever. It's still a fantastic story mm-hmm. and matters. Um, <laughs> but yeah. it's an assumption that we don't think about people being dressed this in certain ways and breaking that barrier. Yeah, I, I love seeing it. And to me, as a viewer... Of course, I I see the world differently than many people, and everybody sees the world differently. Sure. It doesn't matter who's wearing what. The story is going to tell the importance, but it does matter yeah. in many aspects as well. So I don't know. that that That's kind of the inspiration yeah. behind this episode of, of why costumes are important, especially in period pieces, but just in general, costumes are part of are part of the story they're part of who the person is they're part of history because it yeah it, you can look at any different era and costume shifts as far as uh class or who they are or who the villain is or who the hero is it shifts but it mm-hmm. also has the importance that holds yeah uh, merit and when people were like why do we have uh costume awards we should have more (laughs) and or different ones yeah i mean fashion i feel like
1: i when i think of Mm -hmm. costuming especially after everything we talked about today i sort of think of it in two categories you have the the logistic category which is the historical accuracy the um the definable features the factual things that have to exist they are the class that they are they are the age Mm -hmm. that they are they are in Mm -hmm. the time that they are and so you have this um this creation within yep. constraints. And then this other box is the storytelling creative mm-hmm. box, not creative box, the storytelling yep. focused box where there's mm-hmm. liberties and there's okay. symbolism and there's mm-hmm. choices and there's art yep. within each. Um I I feel probably more inclined to start with this uh the the logistic yeah. side of things. I think that's where I of thrive course. more when it comes to when it comes to costume design. I haven't done a yeah. lot of it, but of the little bit that I have, that's where I find Correct. more of a groove. Um but I there's so much honor in artists who are able yeah. to do both and hold both in equal regard and to excel exactly. at both. And I think everything we've talked about today um encapsulate that's really that encapsulates that really nicely of balancing those two things and allowing both to thrive and balance on each other yeah yeah absolutely well thanks everybody for listening this was great oh we do have coffee oh do we have coffee (laughs) to talk about (laughs) okay so let's get into it for those who are unaware if you haven't already clicked on the carver link which if you haven't why the heck have you not um, but if you haven't, you'll know that this this mm. coffee also has mm-hmm. chicory. Now, let me get a little this, historian on you. Um, <laughs> so back in the the yeah. olden days, particularly around hey. the war times hey. in America, uh, or the world, the world <laughs> rather, um, they started to incorporate chicory into the coffee because chicory was a lot cheaper mm-hmm. than coffee and it delivered the same sort of bitterness that instant coffee did. Um, and it was cheaper to produce. And so, um, this is a new Orleans blend. It's a slow roasted, dark, dark, dark roast, um, (laughs) called blackjack. And this new Orleans style of coffee often incorporates chicory. Um, it's a very, very specific taste, very, very specific tasting experience. (laughs) um, it's it's like a chicory is a very woody uh-huh. herb. It's uh-huh. very earthy, um, which is why they incorporated it into the coffee and would, yes. would mix it in. Um, if I got that story wrong, forgive that's me, fine, I'm not a historian, but from the few articles that I looked yes. at, that's what I could gather. Um, it is very dark, Extremely. very bitter and yeah. woody. I it's jokingly
0: woody. said to my fiance that it it's it tastes it tastes good. Don't get me wrong. I'm weird when it comes to like super dark coffee. Um, because it is so strong, but I was like, it tastes like they just roasted pine cones in water. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's it's that woody and earthy. It's been interesting
1: when I first, okay, uh, to be totally honest, I drank this before we started this episode. Um, I already had a couple cups and I found that I am sometimes just like not in the mood. I don't want this at all. Get it away from me. But then other mornings, I'll wake up and be like, actually, that smells really good right yeah. now. And that's what I want. And so I think it's just like a mood thing for me. Um, but for other people like that, the New Orleans style coffee, like this is what they want yeah. for their coffee. And for other people, you'll probably think this is disgusting and you never want to have it again. Or you're like me and you're like, uh, certain times, give me give me a, yeah. a time and a mood and yeah. I'll
0: have some. I, I, I like it. It is, as you said, moods matter when it comes to coffee. Or at least if you're listening and you, um, want to get into roasting every morning, (laughs) like Easton and I do, or not roasting, uh, self, self brewing. I I wish wish. yeah, someday. Yeah. I wish (laughs) we were roasting every morning. Um, but brewing your own coffee every morning. There are some mornings where you're like, I really don't want that. Like, I'm just going to have something else. Or Uh it's more of a, how much coffee do I want with my cream versus the other way around? Um, Yeah. (laughs) But this is good. It, 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 do not take my description to heart of the true taste, but it was that was the initial reaction with.
1: Yeah, if if you haven't tried, coffee mm-hmm. and chicory, yeah, I, I would recommend it. I try would it.
0: try it. it. It's worth Go it. Go order it, and if you
1: hate it, that's fine. Oh well, you got ten yeah, percent off of it fine. anyway. So <laughs> who can, how we can you complain? You it. <laughs> um, but it is—it's a really specific, mm-hmm. interesting taste that I'm—I'm I'm glad that I have at least tried yeah. it, and I know because um, it's Absolutely. really cool cultural thing to look at. There's a lot of history and chicory
0: yeah. copy, but Anyhoo, anyway. well, I will get us out of here on this lovely day and send everyone Do it. I dare you. the words that we love to say. So, raise your mugs, everyone. Be good beans and drink good beans. Yeah. Have a great Bye. day. Enjoy your day.
1: The artist's blend theme music was written and produced by Christopher and Sarah Bailey of Well Wishes Productions, a Nashville based boutique production company specializing in multimedia production, live event contracting, studio, and live vocals. Find Incognita's Infamous Adventures on Amazon Prime and its soundtrack on all digital platforms.